0: Batten and Brexit.
1: Hello and welcome to Batten and Brexit with the UKIP MEP for London, Gerard
0: Batten. Hello, Gerard. Hello Ian and hello to all your listeners, all our listeners I should say. Your listeners indeed.
1: (laughs) Uh, This series is of course brought to you by the EFDD group in the European Parliament. The idea of course is that each episode this is a chance for Gerard to sound off a little about the kind of things that have been happening over the last couple of weeks, the sort of things that rile him, annoy him, enamour him or he believes uh, need responding to. And there's a lot to get through and of course since we uh, last spoke uh, you're now the interim Leader, So we can throw that into the title as well.
0: That's right. I was appointed on the 17th of February. It's been a very, very busy two weeks um, since then. And uh, it's going to be very busy going forward for the three-month term. I am the interim leader, I think. But it's interesting. Let, let's start
1: then with... Because as we record this, you've just hot-footed it from the House of Lords. And when you said you're coming from the House of Lords, I just assumed interim leader peerage in the waiting you've gone down there you've collected your ermine and I'm going to have to address you as Lord Batten Um, apparently that isn't the case much to my disappointment
0: no I don't think I'd be very popular uh, in that uh, particular assembly Uh, no it was actually a meeting of the House of Lords EU uh, scrutiny committee uh, which was made up of Lords MPs and MEPs who've come across especially Uh, to talk about the whole issues. Now, there were actually three issues which we discussed in the course of the afternoon. And um, they are, one, the withdrawal agreement, what that might look like, the transition period, what that might look like, and, more speculative than those, was the UK-EU relationship once we've left the EU. So that that went on from 2 o'clock till 5 o'clock. And it was quite a spirited debate
1: on occasions. So, what are you doing at these these kind of meetings? You're down there at the House of Lords, very grand uh, location and backdrop. Who is? I mean, you mentioned some of the, the kind of people that are there. Mm-hmm. Are they, is this cross party? Is this oh yeah, you had cro- groups
0: of people. You had uh, you know twenty or thirty people there who were representing the parties, uh, and you had people like me and my my colleagues and Bill Cash from the Tories who are leavers, uh, and then you had the remainers from the Labour Party and the Liberal Democrats and the Greens, people like that. Um, it utter like, carnage to well, be honest, yeah. Uh, it was all, uh, the, the chairman, I will give him his due, was very, very polite and diplomatic and thanked us. I mean, it really is an art form uh, <laughs> doing that kind yeah. of thing. You know, he kept it on track. He's a very nice man and uh, he did a wonderful job. But what I can I say, this this whole thing is about the those people who want to leave. And those people who don't want to leave, and they say, oh, we have to accept the democratic verdict of the referendum, but they've really got no intention of doing that at all, if they can possibly avoid it, because the whole afternoon, you know, is talking about these people saying how difficult it is to do this, how difficult it is to do that, oh, you know, the planes won't fly... We can't have. Oh, we're going to have to st- stop and check everything at borders for customs. Kind of overlooking the fact that thousands of containers go in and out of EU ports every day from China, Russia, America. Nobody's opening the containers and looking at them. The customs stuff is all done uh, off offline or sort of online, I should say. It's all worked out long before the containers hit the uh, hit the dockside. So, but they're, they're trying to make everything as difficult as possible.
1: Because you've, you've always held a fairly, and I don't mean this in a pejorative way, a fairly simplistic approach to leaving the EU. It's been your belief that actually a lot of the bureaucracy, uh, that the pen pushing, the uh, hours, months, years of meetings, all of this is rather unnecessary. There's a far simpler way
0: of making this happen. I think simpler rather than simplistic, yeah. And it was quite funny. I I had a a little bit of a laugh at one point because um, Richard Corbett, who is the leader of the Labour Party, who is an absolute arch-remainer. You couldn't get more of a remainer than Richard. And uh, we get on perfectly well. But he came to this conclusion that we're not going to be able to negotiate uh, properly an agreement by the 29th of March next year. And actually, we just exit. And I said, you know, I said, we've come to the same conclusion (laughs) by entirely different routes. Because I've been saying this for years. We've been members of this thing for 45 years. Uh, and when the when the opposition said we can't, you know, you won't be able to negotiate your way out during the two year period under Article Fifty, I agreed with them. You can't if you're going to sit down and negotiate every piece of, I think the last time I checked, about one hundred and seventy five thousand different bits of legislation and regulation, every jot and tittle. You'll never negotiate your way out on that. It'll Take you another forty five years to do it. So what you do instead, as I said to them today, simple solution or uh, the clear solution, anyway. You repeal the 1972 European Communities Act, which makes us members of the EU under our law, so we're no longer members under our law. But within that repeal bill, you keep all the EU regulation and law in place, and then we start to repeal and amend it according to our priorities. And we say to the EU, well, don't worry, nothing's going to fall apart tomorrow, because all all the law remains where it is. But what we're going to start doing is taking immediate action. For example, we're offering you a trade deal, tariff-free trade, on the same terms as now, you just can't have freedom of movement of people, and we are not going to be part of the customs union, so we're not going to have to obey your, you know, your third-party uh, tariffs on people from outside the EU. So essentially, you just go back to
1: the to the initial vote to go into the EU in yes. the yeah. seventies, and you use parliamentary power, domestic power, to change the
0: laws, to change the laws, and in fact, I, I. I didn't have to write the draft um, bill because it was already done by Sir William Cash, Bill Cash. He wrote one, and I used that in the document that I wrote a couple of years ago, where I laid out how we could we could lose, and it's it's Appendix One in my document. So saying what, how we could why do it.
1: would because that sounds a, a far smoother way than what is currently happening? Whether you're for leaving or for remaining, yeah. I would have thought any. I mean, you just alluded to the Labour guy. Everybody wanted to happen something to happen.
0: And quickly. Well, I don't think they want it to happen. His one was a kind of, oh well, it's all going to we won't be able to negotiate a way out, and we'll just exit on the 29th of, of March next year anyway. And of course, nothing will be decided. And in a way, he's right because, and as I said to him, we don't need a transition period. What we need is periods of adjustment in different areas. Certain things like the trade uh, negotiations, something like the rights of EU citizens here and our citizens in the in the EU, that could be decided fairly quickly. And something like the uniform height of brake lights on farm vehicles, we can put that on the back burner for 5, 10, 15 years. We may never change it. So we don't have to change every piece of EU legislation, but we tackle the big things first and work our way through them. Otherwise, it's never going to happen. And this is what I think they want for it to never happen. Uh, They're trying to, as I've said, predicted this when I wrote about it, and you don't need to be a prophet to see it coming. They're going to try and delay it. They're going to try and impede it in the hope of overturning the whole thing at some point in the future. And I'm absolutely certain that's their strategy. And, of course, in this House of Lords Committee was a majority of people who don't really want to leave anyway because that's our political class. And you're seeing this right across Europe. Just something occurred to me on this, and you know, I've seen commentators say Brexit has caused divisions in society. No, it hasn't. What it's actually done is highlighted the division that's already there. You've got the political class, you've got, and this isn't, you know, this is by and large, it's not absolutely hard and fast, but you've got a political class that don't want to leave, you've got a media class that by and large doesn't want to leave, you've got a kind of intelligentsia in the education system, whatever, that don't want to leave. Not all of them. But predominantly, and you've got everybody else underneath who actually pays for all of this, and it impacts on their daily life. First, and mostly people at the bottom end of the economic scale who actually have to pick up the bills for all this of this ideological, idealistic uh, project that the EU is. They're the ones that pay for it, and it's shown up the existing division between those groups of people. And, of course, you're not just seeing it here. You're seeing it in other manifestations across Europe, in Hungary, in Italy, where we've got elections today, in Germany, other Eastern European countries and one of the things that's brought it home to them because they're actually getting money out of the EU where we actually pay money a lot of those countries, Eastern Europe uh, You know, they're net uh, beneficiaries from the budget but they're seeing that they're having mass immigration forced on them that they don't want and indeed Mrs Merkel has said you can't have the money if you don't take the immigrants and they're rebelling um, and that brought me on to how I summed up this thing at the um, House of Lords because they asked us what was our future relationship gonna, with the EU going to be like and they were very keen Ongoing on junkets and having uh, committees for this, that, and the other to talk about our future relationship. Now, very, very, very keen on all that. Even if we're not in, they want to be doing those kind of things at the taxpayers' expense. But I said you are presupposing that the EU is going to survive anyway. When Britain leaves, it's going to be the agenda of people like Mr. Verhofstadt that's going to take over full economic, political. Uh, integration. That's the road they're going to go down. And we'll be out of the way because we're one of the biggest impediments to that. But that isn't going to go down well with a lot of these states who actually don't want that that route. Uh, and of course, you've got um, a disaster waiting to happen, which is the Eurozone. We've already seen the impact that it's had on countries like Greece, where you've got something like 50 odd percent youth unemployment. In Italy, where you've got uh, very high unemployment, in Spain and Portugal, caused by the euro or not entirely caused to be fair but it's been a big contributory factor and i think that the eu may well not survive in its current form anyway so i wouldn't worry too much about our future relationship with it i think we should start worrying about our national interest and having good friendly relations with all of the countries of the world not this artificial creation which is the eu
1: so why doesn't david davis he's the secretary of state for exiting the European Union, I think that's the full title, Uh, why doesn't he take that document that you you carved out, uh, echoes of what Bill Cash had said, if he wants to make it Tory rather than UKIP, uh, why doesn't he just take that and say, look, here's the answer, this is the way to make it uh, quicker? Because I
0: suppose even if he's... He's not a Remainer, is he? No, he's not, he's a Lever, but the trouble is he's up against... Uh, a Prime Minister and a government and a House of Commons that don't really want to leave or, you know, they want this kind of soft Brexit, which is nonsense. It just means not really leaving at all, leaving in name but not in reality. So he's up against it with them. So he's got my sympathy in that respect. If you really wanted to leave, then, you know, you would take a road similar to the one I've laid out. And I know that because I've spoken to other MPs who actually acknowledge that, yeah, if you're going to do it, you do it my way, but they can't actually openly say that because it's not their party's policy. I mean, its I understand people who really believe in the European project who want to be part of the United States of Europe. That's a fair enough position to take, uh, and my position, of course, is pl- completely the opposite. But the trouble is you've got a lot of people in between who are actually frightened to say where they stand on the leave issue because they have to contend with their own parties, uh, their the government... Uh, and uh, they can't actually come out in the open and say, if you are going to leave, this is the way to do it. You can't pussyfoot around and mess about. You can't negotiate your way out of this thing. You have got... I make this analogy uh, of the uh, Gordian knot. You know, Alexander the Great, in about 332 BC or wherever it was, turned up in some Asia minor city Gordium, And uh, they had this uh, this uh, chariot tied by a very intricate knot. Uh, and said the man that cuts that knot will be the king of Asia. And Alexander's standing there, he's got his army on one side, he's got all the in- cities inhabitants on the other, and they're all looking at him, what are you going to do? How are you going to tie that, untie that knot? And he looked at it and he knew you're never going to untie that, and he'd be there for a month for Sundays. So he took his sword and he cut through it with one blow, and he said, what does it matter how I loose it? And, I, and that's, that's my analogy for how we get that, out of the That's EU. your approach to it. Do you,
1: do you think, I mean, your gut feeling of this, you, you've, I mean, this has been a, your, your political... Um, career based on the, the very place we're now at w- what do you think is likely to happen Gerard Batten what do you th- where is this going looking at the mood music what is happening with the negotiations we'll come on to Theresa May's speech yeah. in just a second w- what's your instinct um,
0: I, it's going to be a struggle to get out it isn't the, the, the fight isn't decided it's not finished and it won't be until the day we actually leave and then we've got to make sure that we actually leave properly and we don't end up in the kind of place that the Remainers would like to be as a fallback position. And Mrs May kind of started to move in the right direction with her speech, but not entirely, um, because we had we got two, again, conflicting things. We got the withdrawal agreement from the European Union, or its, uh, its draft uh, agreement for withdrawal, and then we had Mrs May's speech, which wasn't entirely... Um, unencumbered exit let me put it that way and I mean the kind of things that the EU have in mind uh, which I don't think is going to go down very well with the voters um, is that you know their law was still applied during the transition period Uh, the four freedoms will apply which means open borders we can't sign international agreements without their permission and all this is going to go on till you know that 2020 and then there was even talk today that because we can't negotiate all this by the end they can extend the transition period um, so I think you, we're either going to go take decisive action or we could end up in a situation where we have this kind of leave-in-name-but-not-in-reality situation or they'll try to get to the next general election in this country where they'll try to overturn the result altogether. And you could have, uh, you know, a party, Labour Party perhaps because they've already said now Corbyn's gone back on... Um, on a lifetime of opposition to the EU, saying we must stay in the customs union, and you can never trust the Tories anyway. So we could end up in a position where we got both parties saying, well, we can't really leave, you know, it's a mistake, so we're going to overturn the referendum, which they can do. Parliament has that prerogative. So what do you... I mean, when Theresa May gave that speech the other week, uh, lots of people said
1: that it, there was something, to some people, unifying in in that the Anasubris were sort of OK with it, uh, the bill caches were slightly encouraged by it. It did something. Did it do
0: anything for you? Uh, not really. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, she says some things which are encouraging, and i said, you know, this, 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 the problem with this is that she's chasing something that doesn't exist, which is a kind of perfect agreement with the EU, which you're not going to have. And here we are, you know, what is it, 19, 20 months on from the referendum, and we're in a position we should have been um, the week after you know, when we should have been talking about how we're going to actually leave. And what I've said all along, you'll never negotiate your way out of this because they don't want us to leave. So instead of asking them how we're going to leave, we should be telling them how we're going to leave and explaining them and making them an offer. Because why would they accept... You know, they'd have no incentive whatsoever to help us leave the European Union. They don't want us to do it. So unless the government takes control of this then uh, then we're going to keep going around in these circles. It's a bit like a kind of a, a European Union cross between monopoly and, uh, and snakes and ladders. you know, With a bit of Cluedo. Yeah, and, then, and, you know, oh, <laughs> go, move forward two steps, oh, you're back to yeah. where you started. And as I said to them, this whole thing's got to be voted on by the European Parliament, this withdrawal agreement, whatever it looks like, in 29th of March 2019. And I said, it's quite possible I'll vote against it because if there's lots of things in it I don't want, yeah. I'll vote against it. Because uh, I I think it goes too far. Uh, The Remainers in the Parliament will vote against it because it doesn't go far enough. And then we're back to where we started on the 24th of June 2016, the day after the referendum, which puts the government entirely in the position that I say they should be in, where they start taking control of it only only three years later.
1: Isn't this the sort of crazy, the the antics, if you like, of (laughs) Westminster uh, and what goes on? You know, when... David Davis, to go back to him, when he's trying to, in his heart, we understand he wants to leg it out of the EU project. And he hears his boss stand up at the podium and give a nice, shiny speech that's a little softer than perhaps he would like. Does he not just go home and bash his head against his own bedroom wall, thinking, what on earth am I doing here? I know this can be done, and it's not going to be done Mm -hmm. if we carry out the kind of the will of the, the, the current government I'm serving under.
0: Quite possibly. I mean, I don't know because I'm, I'm not on friendly terms with David Davis, so I wouldn't know how he's reacting to Or have you I would seen imagine. his bedroom walk? You know, so. <laughs> I hope, no, no, that's, so a, that that's a scandal too far. <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't, I don't know, but he's, he's in that position. that he. If we had a patriotic Prime Minister the day after the referendum, somebody who'd actually campaigned to leave rather than campaign to remain, if we had a patriotic House of Commons that said, right, we're fed up with this um, project, we don't want to be part of it anymore, all this could be accomplished quite quickly. Of course it's going to be difficult disentangling yourself from 45 years of laws and regulations. What people realise, and I'm sure a lot of people who listen to this will realise, is most of our laws now come from the European Union, and we don't have the power of veto regulations apply automatically the house of commons doesn't even get a vote they alter, they've already ceded the ability to legislate with directives they at least have to implement them and can change the details a little bit so um it's going to be impossible to negotiate your way out of that unless you take very forceful uh, dynamic action and tell the eu how it's going to work and not ask them as i keep on saying and eventually we either won't leave or somebody will do it the way i'm explaining now
1: let me just remind listeners to the podcast that if you're enjoying Baton and Brexit, uh, then, of course, subscribe on your podcast app. Tick subscribe, write a review, and that way each episode comes down automatically into your phone, tablet or computer. Final question. This comes from Keith, who's in Salford, so not one of your constituents, but I would imagine, um, just looking at the other things he says here, an arch-Brexiteer, uh, he just simply asks, what do you do as an MEP... What is your relationship with constituents when they want to advance a point or get a question across? Does the role of an MEP allow you to do that in the same way that we're told you can do that with Westminster politics?
0: Uh, yes. In, the, in Obviously, if they write to me and ask me a question, I do my best to answer it. Um, we should say, by the way, this podcast is really aimed at a lot of your constituents yeah. so that you can... It's an update, if you like, a newsletter, but a verbal audio version. Well, uh, when they write to me, it depends what they're writing to me about. If I can answer the question straight away, sometimes people ask me about like this process. I've had a few on this, and I've tried to explain it to them. Sometimes they get asking a question which is more technical about EU regulation, so I have the ability to do a written question to the council or the commission, and I tend only to do those where they're asking a very specific question. Very often it's businesses who have some problem with EU regulation or a citizen who has, for example, I've had people living in France who feel that they're unfairly taxed on their properties, which is supposed to be against the EU non-discrimination laws. You write to the Commission. First of all, it takes rather a long time to get an answer. Secondly, very often you don't get a clear answer back or they'll say, oh, well, actually, so this is down to the nation-state to actually implement the directive. We can't implement the directive. you better write to the nation-state. So you kind of go round in a circle. Very rarely have I got a clear, straight answer from the Commission or the Council on the question I've asked. So the more specific the question, the better. If they can find a way of not answering a question you didn't ask and <laughs> batten it back to your court, that's, then they will. That's so standard fare, isn't it's, it? Yeah, yeah it's, I wouldn't say it's a very productive uh, way of um, finding out things for your constituents, I, I would but imagine. we do our best.
1: <laughs> and I don't, if, if people have questions for their MEPs, there's only... Well, technically, only a, a year and a half left to yeah. ask them. Uh, but, of course, that year, could change. One year now. One year now, yeah. yeah. That could change if the process is extended even more, which is the, the, the fear you, well, you see, highlighted this, at well, the beginning.
0: It could be, you see, but this is the problem with the, this transition period, etc. M- UK MPs will no longer be members after the 29th of March because the European elections for 2019 start then. Now, for us to be there after the elections, it means you've got to run elections yeah. in the UK. Uh, which would mean then you've got to have an act of parliament that says we're not actually the MPs are not leaving and MEPs were not leaving and they're going to continue and then how long, did they how long for? do they continue for? I mean it's, this is why is that <laughs> another five years into the pot? Well, this is it. I mean I've no interest in going back there. I don't want to be there. I want to see. But Mrs May has clearly said we won't be members of the commission, we won't be members of the uh, council, and we won't have MEPs. Well, the other thing that's then been said in reply to that, the EU wants. EU law to apply during that transition period and um, decisions of the European Court of Justice to apply. And the reply that's coming back from well, from both sides, Remainers and Leavers, yeah, but we won't have a say uh, in the lawmaking because our MEPs won't be there. Now, Richard Corbett, who's a leader of the Labour, said today, ah, oh, well, then you shouldn't leave. And what I said is, no, we should leave now. <laughs> <laughs> and we shouldn't pay you any more money or pay the EU any more money. Uh, this is like your dream box set, isn't it? All coming in at
1: once if you <laughs> if you love politics. Uh, that's it for this episode. We should direct people to
0: your website because there's
1: quite a lot of information on there, which is...
0: www.gerardbattenmep.co.uk And we'll see you next time. Cheers, Gerard. Thanks a lot, Ian.